Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. We have a special episode of the Paracast this week where we're going to try to unearth information about the alien interview. And let me tell you how I got information about this. Back on July 1st, I received a press release from Lawrence Spencer with the headline, Top Secret Interviews with Roswell Alien Released 60 Years Later. And therein lies a tale, and we're going to find out with Lawrence Spencer here and with Scott Ramsey and Frank Warren assisting us. We're going to try to find out what this alien interview is all about and whether it has any positive relationship to the attempts to get evidence for the Roswell UFO case. So let's just dig right in. Lawrence, thanks for joining us on the PowerCast. My pleasure. Lawrence, how did you get involved in this? You explained you were not a ufologist, you were not someone who followed this field. So how did you get brought into this, and how did you get the material for the Alien Interview book? Well, it was... Uh kind of an accident of circuitous referrals and so forth. It began back in the late 90s. I was doing research for a book that I wrote, which I published finally in 1999, called The Oz Factors. And the book, that book principally is about Western history and it's an investigation into the course of Western history and, and factors that, to me, seem to uh, shape the, the course of logic or the, the way we think in Western civilization, and not just Western civilization, but mankind in general, sort of common denominators of, of logic, if you will. So back at that time, there was no Internet and so forth, so I spent several years reading hundreds of books, anything I could get about history or related material and so forth, and as I went through my investigations uh, and started forming my own observations about history and so forth, I started realizing that um, fundamentally things that you read in history textbooks and commentary and so forth are slanted from the point of view of the person writing the material or from the point of view of the person sponsoring the authorship of the material. For example, a common one is uh, university textbooks and so forth are very often written or sponsored by uh, academic institutions that depend upon their financial support from various uh, sources of funding. And so they obviously have to assume or follow the line of thinking or acceptable uh, logic of the people donating the money. So, long story short, uh, one of my first observations in the, in the Oz factors was that historically and more or less universally, things are, are very heavily influenced by various vested interests who are forwarding their own um, survival purposes or ideas or agendas, whatever they may be. So, to that degree, I, I began to kind of dismiss the mainstream academic uh, report of events and his, history as written by academia and start looking into other alternative, so to speak, um, sources of information. So I read all kinds of books, anything I could find, and put whatever material that myself and my editor at that time could find that we thought kind of followed followed that, uh, that line of thinking regarding the, the influence of vested interest and, and some other factors in the course of Western civilization. So 
long story short, that led me to that course of investigation kind of accidentally led me to talking to various people and one person I spoke to said, I've heard that there there was somebody that I've heard of who used to be at Roswell and they may know something about the possible influence of aliens or extraterrestrials on the history of Earth. And as you know better than I do, there's probably... I don't know how many books have been written about on that subject. Anyway, so I was given a name and a phone number that I called sort of on a lark. And actually, I wasn't given the phone number. I, I just called information directly, you know, in the information directory and called the number. And this lady answered the phone. And I introduced myself and told her what I was doing and, and told her I thought perhaps... Um, she had information that may be useful in my research and that I was told that she might have had something to do with with Roswell or Area 51 or something like that. Um, of course, she um, categorically denied that uh, she had any information whatsoever that she, she could share. She did sort of uh, intimate that she was involved in that area at that time, but nothing specific. So anyway, that was a long time ago. That was 97 or 98. And I um, kind of forgot all about it. And then um, 10 years later, I get this material in the mail sent to me, which is what the content of the book is. And allegedly, it's from this, this lady who was says she was a nurse at Roswell, so on and so forth. So I just I, when I first got it, I went, this is... I, I need to verify where this came from or who this is or whatever. Anyway, I gave my best effort to, to try to find this person and verify their existence and so on and so forth. And I, I couldn't really verify any of it. Every Everything I tried pretty much ended up in a dead end. Now, um, I'm kind of confused here. You get this material. Why would it come to Lawrence Spencer and not to all the people who have been investigating the Roswell case all these years. That was one of my first uh, my first questions. Why would she send it to me? And the only thing that you know, in retrospect, having reflected on this for some months now, she says in the letter that she sent to me that uh, she read my book after I spoke to her on the phone. I said, "Well, thank you for your time, and I'll send you a copy of my book when it's published." So she was interested in it, so I had an address that she gave me. In well, wait a minute, she said, wait a minute, you said she read the book, but you hadn't sent her a copy of the book yet. I'm confused. No, no, I'm getting to that. Okay. At the time I spoke to her, the book hadn't even been published yet. So about a year or so later, uh, after the book was published, I mailed a copy of the book to the, the address that uh, she gave me. And then 10 years later, when the materials came in the mail, she references the fact of having read the book, The Oz Factors. So my assumption then is that uh, she sent it to me because, as she states in the letter, she feels that I'm someone that uh, she thought could understand the material and would be interested in it and take responsibility for putting it out to people without as it, as is. So... You know, I, Gene, I have no idea whether or not the same material was sent to a thousand other people. I have no way of knowing anything about it other than what I say in the book. So I agonized over what to do with the material for several months and uh, spent many sleepless nights trying to figure out what, you know, what should I do with it. 
uh, started looking into it a bit. And one of the first things that I read about that occurred to me that I had read about years ago was the, uh, the Majestic 12 documents, which kind of a similar story as I understand it. A fellow receives a package of information in the mail and it's from an anonymous source and nobody can verify where it came from or its authenticity or anything like that. And subsequently, as I understand, they've spent like a decade or more trying to to authenticate the material and so forth. So early on, I made the decision that I don't I don't want to become the focal point of interest for this. I, I have I'm not a UFO person. I'm not an expert on any of this by the any any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm not interested in championing the material or uh, defending it or investigating it or anything. So what I decided to do was, because of the nature of the, the letter that she wrote and the material itself, I decided, well, okay, well, this stuff may have some use to somebody who knows a lot more about this than I do. And I know, you know, I'll be the first person to tell you I don't know really much at all about the whole UFO thing and all of that sort of thing. It's not, you know, it's not my, not my deal. So anyway, I, I decided to just publish it as is, and I did go through and I, for my own purposes, my own edification, I went through and I did put footnotes in the book taken from Wikipedia, just sort of uh, as a means of defining the various things described in the transcripts and so forth, so I could authenticate for myself. You know, is any of this, is any part of this true or actual? And as I went through, I discovered that well. Apparently, most, uh, as far as I can tell, most of the names of the people mentioned and the dates and places and so forth seem to be verifiable through Wikipedia, at least, references in a, in a generic encyclopedia. So, you know, after I had gone through the whole transcript and done that, I said, well, okay, well, what, what the heck, I'll, I'll publish it. And just because I think it's, it's worth reading for people who are interested in this, whether any of it is factual or not, or whether there was actually a person factually named Matilda McElroy, who was a nurse and who sent this to me, I mean, frankly, Gene, this stuff could have come from any one of a million different places. I mean, I have no way of verifying for, for a fact uh, who wrote it, but it doesn't appear to me that there's any particular agenda associated with the material. It's just kind of a kind of a report. Anyway, that's the uh, best way I can explain it. The, the book contains uh, my own personal disclaimers about it. I mean, what else can I do? Uh, well, you know what? In my case, and I think David would probably be in a similar situation, we would probably not publish it. We would take it around to the people who have been investigating the Roswell case for all these years and say, okay, I have this material here. I can't vet this material. Can you vet this material? That's what I would do now. Yeah, I, I'm sure you. I'm sure you would. And for you, I think that would probably be the right thing for me. Uh, I don't have the time, the knowledge, the resources to do anything like that. I work for a living. Uh, I wouldn't even know who to go ask particularly. So I decided, because of my particular circumstances and the fact that I I don't want to be swept up in a uh, you know, in all of the investigations that would it would it might take to to verify any of this, I just decided I I really really don't want to get 
involved. I'll just put it out the way it is, and if other people want to investigate it or track it all down and they find out that the whole thing is bogus or whatever, uh, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. But I did decide to publish it because I, you know, personally having read it, I thought, well, there's a lot of ideas and things in here that are very, very new to me and explain a lot of things. You know, they're asked basically answer questions that I've never even asked before. I mean, L- Lawrence, I- let me interject here. Frank Warren here. Let me qualify my statement first by saying that I haven't read your book yet, but I'm going to. You've got my attention. I'm very curious. I want to spend the money and buy the book. Here's what I'm looking at right off the top, and this is from somebody that spent a little time investigating the matter, particularly specifically the nurse uh, or the nurse issue. But here, your harshest critics, it, what I see that you've done, you, you've, you've got the disclaimer out there and what you've just said to all of us and the listeners of Paracast, you met this person that you, by your own admission, you, you can't verify their, that person's identity. Yeah, the, the voice only, on the, phone the only thing is, I can verify that. is that I had a 20-minute conversation on the phone with a woman. Ten years ago. That's about all. I understand. Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do here before we pursue this. Let's pursue this in a second, guys. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for nineteen ninety-five, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for $19.99 just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item, Paracast Offer, 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five. Or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y. California 90295, put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast Offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO-6242, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
we're talking to three guests. We have Lauren Spencer, who is the editor of this Alien Interview book. We have UFO investigators Frank Warren and Scott Ramsey joining us on the PowerCast, and we're trying to explore the background of this particular book and what's going on. Frank, why don't you pursue your line of questioning? Well, the, the, the white elephant in the room is your, your harshest critics are going to look at this and go, this guy's trying to sell a book. And I say that in the sense that you've covered all the bases. You, well, by your I own think admission, I'm, uh, but, you know, let but, me just interject something here. If you want me to send you a list of all of my doubts and reservations and questions about this material, I bet my list is longer than your list. Oh, no, no. Uh, Lauren, my own, please, I'm, my not, own I'm not trying to be rude. Let me make my point. <laughs> let, let me make my point. You've covered all that. In fact, this is brilliant. I mean, if the goal is to sell a book here, it's brilliant. You're the messenger. Yeah. I don't uh, care you're about saying selling by books. your own admission. Let me just tell you right up front, I don't care about selling books. Uh, I published it. You can download a copy for five bucks uh, as a PDF file. The little commission that I get goes directly to a charity foundation that I co-founded a couple years ago that raises money for kids to buy sports equipment for schools. And I could give a I could give a damn one way or okay. the other. I'm not doing it for money. I'm doing it for uh, the reasons I stated in the book. I have no other agenda. Believe it or not, I don't care what anybody believes it. Uh, if you want. I could think of a thousand different ways to discredit this this material. I mean, it's entirely subjective as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the whole, all of the interviews conducted, she says right in the transcript, are done telepathically. I mean, you don't get more subjective than that. So, I mean, right yeah, off the bat, you I'm see, going, you understand wow, this is where the skepticism weird, you know? comes in at, at this point. Oh, hey, I'm I'm the biggest skeptic there is. Well, if it, I weren't it, such it, a skeptic, and this is my I don't point, think I would have published it. I mean, you've you've covered all the bases in the in the disclaimer. You you can't prove who the. I mean, it, in regards to this research, we have to go by the evidence. And at this point, there isn't any. And and what yeah, there's you no say evidence. that you had initially, you've destroyed, which is beyond me. I, I destroyed uh, it exactly for the reasons I stated. I do not want to get caught up in the the maelstrom of. Uh, Speculation. Okay, let me just stop but, the but tell. Our listeners are not aware of this, folks, so let me just, let's emphasize that. At the beginning of the book, in the introduction, you explain this evidence was destroyed. Now, you're saying you didn't want to get caught up in this, but couldn't you just sent it on to a UFO investigative body and saying, look, I have no personal evidence for this. You figure it out. You well, follow that's through. A, yeah. That's a that's an excellent question. The reason I chose not to is because uh, I'm I'm following the tenets of of my own book, The Oz Factors, which basically states that the reason things are crazy in the world is because everybody has uh, an agenda or a vested interest or some survival thing that they're that they consider survival. They're trying to push. They have some objective. They have some uh, self promotional thing that they're reasons they're doing things. So. I decided, well, I think one of the reasons she may have sent this to me is because she read my book and she knows that my philosophy is, number one, that vested interest or agendas are the kind of the basic source of the problems that we have on the planet. And number two, that uh, I firmly believe that reality is largely subjective and what's true for you is true for you. Uh, I don't. I have my own opinions that are irrelevant to anybody else, as far as I'm concerned, and everybody else's opinion is just as valid as mine. So you guys, as professional investigators and so forth, obviously you have your own point of view and so forth, which is wonderful. Uh, I, I hope that you have a lot more information about this than I do, because everything I know about it is in the book. 
Well, yeah, but how could we evaluate this and how could we look at the evidence if we don't have the evidence? We have the contents of these messages, but we don't have the messages. We can't look at them. We can't use forensics to go back exactly. and say, hey, well, is this a real, is this a genuine document, or is it fake? Obviously, one of the big arguments about the MJ-12 documents is that some might be genuine, but others might be faked. And, and at least there was something to look at. That's the word yeah, document. That's, that's right. the exact reason I decided to, to burn it. I didn't make any copies. I didn't scan it. I didn't do anything with it. I don't want anybody coming to me. I don't want any government agents or UFO enthusiasts or debunkers or anything coming around to my house going, let's see the copies. I am absolutely not willing, personally, to go there. And that's just all there is to it. And I don't have to justify that point of view to anybody. I'm not well, going to. Okay, D David Biedney here. I've been very quiet up until now, gentlemen. Here's the thing, Lawrence. Let's be intellectually honest with each other. I understand your desire to not be hounded by ufologists. I have a lot of reasons to understand that motivation. At the same time, what stopped you from publishing this without putting your name on the cover? My name is all over the cover. It says edited by, in big red letters, Lawrence Arthur. Right. What stopped you from putting this out without your name on the cover, therefore thereby fulfilling the desire to not be questioned about this. It, it seems to it's me not, a little disingenuous. It's not, my, it's not my material. I didn't... I, I, didn't, I, 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 I understand that. If I sat down to try to make it up. The transcripts, Any, I'm talking about the transcripts. Actually, here. anybody can make anything up. We already know that. I'm a writer as well. We can all make anything up. You're probably a lot better than I am. <laughs> well, no, but, but check it out. Here's the thing. If you didn't want attention, if you didn't want to have to deal... With the questions that, Lawrence, questions you knew you were going to get, you didn't have to put your name on the cover of this. You could have very yeah, easily. I well, I, well, I mean. I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it to you. I mean, I just did what I did. Um, uh, all I could recommend mm -hmm. to you or anybody else is read the book, see what you think, just decide for yourself. If, if you have other information that would lead you to whatever conclusions you come to, great. I mean, everything I know about it is, is in the book. But, mean, but that's, God, it's yeah. Best but, effort. This is my best effort right. to put the material out there. And but if I fall it, short, I'm, I apologize. But, Lawrence, did you think nobody was going to question you about this? Honestly. Um, I don't, well, I assume, I mean, I've never done this sort of thing before, um, you know, as far as, like, uh, I've written a couple of books of my own. I think the total number of books copies sold have been maybe 300 it's like it's not like the long long story short is is everything i know about it is in the book which isn't to say that that's that's a far cry from everything that could be known about it but everything that i know about it is in is in the book and in the best way that i can present it i don't know what else to tell you well uh i think we have a problem here understand that <laughs> i'm sure there well, are well we have a big problem here but it's kind of like the situation where you've got the teenager who drinks a lot of alcohol and then later says, well, I didn't know I'd get drunk. It, it just doesn't work that way. Look, if I got up on the steps of a church and started burning a cross, I mean, people are going to come after me. I would be ridiculous to think that this wouldn't happen. I mean, you can't, every action has a reaction. And now, now let's paint a bigger picture around this, okay? 
I appreciate the fact that you're not taking the money for this, that you're giving this to charity. I think that's a great thing. All right. You have other books you've written, The Oz Factors, Pan, God of the Woods. What are these books about? Well, The Oz Factors I described to you is uh, basically sort of my attempt to make sense out of history. The other two books are just kind of uh, novels about things that I'm interested in. Right. I mean, there's nothing hidden or secret about any of it. It's just, you know, if you read if you read it, you understand it. It's just like this book, the alien interview thing, is uh, you gentlemen uh, say that you haven't read the book. So I've read the book. Very, that makes me kind of leery about the whole conversation we're having because you Lawrence, don't know what, what the material Lawrence, is. Lawrence, I've read the book. This is David Biedney. I read the book. Okay? okay I read all the books of all the guests that come on our show. I go out of my way to read the book. When I started oh, reading your book, okay, I've let's never just qualify. To anybody who's read the book, it's only been out for a few weeks, and I never actually talked to anybody who read it. You sent me the book. I read the book, and the thing that struck me at the very beginning, where you qualify that you've destroyed the originals, I look at that and I think, why would someone do this? Now I know why you said you would do it, but it's not credible. Okay, that's the problem. All right, it's not totally, credible. I completely understand that. Absolutely. You know where I'm coming from with this. All right. Totally, totally understand that. All right. I've had many so, people ask me the same question, and sure. I tell everybody the same thing. Right. Then when the we get into the that book I'm, that I made, and, that's, and you realize it, it maybe was a decision that you should have thought a little bit more about because well, in retrospect, right? uh, in yeah. hindsight, 2020 is perfect vision in every case. Absolutely. Case. We At should also time, point out here just. Lawrence, when you should tell stuff, our listeners. When I got this stuff and what she says sure. in the letters and so forth, she says a lot of people have been killed over this this type of information. And you know, am I willing to put my life at risk? I mean, I have. Well, wouldn't no you have already done that by putting your name on as editor, Frank? Let me just explain to also, Lawrence. Let uh, me explain something also that our listeners should know. The publisher Lulu. This is a self-publishing organization. In other words, you're paying. To have this book published, it's self-published. No, you didn't go to, you didn't go to Career Press or something like that. Wait, 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 wait. That's not true. I'm not paying anybody to publish this. Lulu is a free book publishing company. It doesn't cost anybody a nickel. You can publish anything you want. It doesn't cost a nickel. That's why I use them. Okay, what they do is they print the books on demand as there are people who buy yeah, them. Yeah, okay. that's right. It's on-demand publishing. Okay, so basically you can go to this company, you send them your manuscript, you send them your cover, and as they get orders for the book, they will print them up and ship them, and you get a piece of the action, and then you said you're giving them charity. Okay, we understand that. Oh. Hey, neighbors. The easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time, because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, I'm Paul Kimball, documentary filmmaker with the blog The Other Side of Truth, and you're listening to The Paracast with my pals David Biedney and Gene Steinberg. 
on the PowerCast. We're talking to Lawrence Spencer, editor of the Alien Interview Book, and we're assisted in this discussion by Frank Warren and Scott Ramsey. David, you want to pick up on this? Well, see, we, we, here's the thing, Lawrence. I understand, I think we all understand what you're saying. It doesn't jive with what you've done. But when you say you're concerned about your security, that's a valid concern. You publish this material with your name on the cover. Uh-huh. Okay, so you have acknowledged that you have had this material, and regardless of whether originals exist or not, you're saying, here is essentially a photocopy through my fingers and my eyes of this material. You're exposing yourself to the exact same danger that you're saying you destroyed the materials to not expose yourself to. It doesn't, there's no internal logic here. Well, my logic was that if I don't have the original documents or any copies, then as I say in the book, as I say in the disclaimer, I can't prove that any of this was factual and I don't, I didn't keep a record so that anybody else could say anything about it except uh, as a personal opinion. Like, you know, you gentlemen are saying you don't agree with my decision to do what I did. I totally, really, really honestly, I really do understand that. And I, I, from your point of view, I totally do not disagree with you. I'm just saying that for own, my own personal selfish reasons, right or wrong, stupid, crazy, or illogical or otherwise, I did what I did. But, but Lawrence, the, the actions are going to be the same whether okay. you have any documents or not, don't you think? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't. I didn't. I don't think so. But well, I mean, the very guys, fact you that we're know doing I have this, a lot more this radio interview. <laughs> Is evidence to I, say, that. I, this is not my main interest uh, in life or activity or anything like that. So I have to take your word for it. I, I have no idea of knowing. Well, well, Lawrence, you know what? I'm going to call you on that. You say it's not your main interest, but when we look at the book, The Oz Factors, what do we have? We have a book describing an alternate theory of the development of our society. That's basically what the book, I haven't read the book, but I'm just looking at the descriptions online, and I'm looking at reviews of it online. And in essence, it's a different spin on the same topic matter of the alien interviews. It's kind of, to me, it's sort of uh, spookily similar, which is another reason why I decided to do what I did, because, you know, one thing I am sure of is that there are unlimited numbers of people who could sit down at a typewriter or whatever uh, and make this stuff up and based on the content of my own book that I wrote 10 years ago could write other material that's sort of uh, like that or similar. I mean, if I could verify that the actual source of, of the documents, then you know, perhaps that, that question would be answered. All right. I know is that she says in the letter that she did read my book, and that was 10 years ago. So at the time I spoke to her, I was still doing research for the book, which is the reason I called the phone number to but begin with. To see if I okay, so you called her originally? I called her, yes. Okay, I want that clarified. It's all in the book. Everything is in the book verbatim, every, exactly as it occurred. Scott, right there Scott the Ramsey, you've been listening very patiently. Do you have any questions you want to chime in with now? No, actually, I have not read Lawrence's book. Uh, I plan to. I'm just sort of sitting here digesting everything. I think uh, you're all bringing up a good argument, if it were. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting here quietly thinking. Okay. Well, if, uh, if the purpose of, of your reasons for interviewing me are to find ways to disclaim or debunk or debrace or discredit the book or me or the material in the book, that's totally fine. I would be the first person to to agree with you 
that there's really a lot of questions about it, more questions than there are answers. So you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir here. Well, let me ask you a question here. Okay, we realize now that we're all skeptical about this book. I and think I'm, we understand David, I, that, but can I ask you I mean, a question here? I'm probably here? more skeptical than all of you guys put together. Well, perhaps, but let me ask you a question. The, I just don't have the, like the, the educational and scientific background that you guys have in this field. I don't even know the right questions to ask or who to ask. Well, let me ask you a question then. Okay, now that we have our skepticism out on the table, let's maybe just briefly look at the contents here. Matilda McElroy... She is supposedly a nurse who was involved in the Roswell case. And well, that, that's the name, yes. That's the name given, I'm pretty sure, that anyone, it would be obvious to anyone, that that's not her actual name. Okay, so her name isn't real either. That's what I'm assuming. I sort of get from the gist of the material, reading the material, that her actual name when she was a nurse at the time was something different. She changed her name, or the government changed her name, or whomever, to protect her from or make her disappear or what have you sort of like uh, somebody said it sounds like a witness protection program kind of thing well that that sort of makes sense you know obviously the the subject of the materials is highly um, volatile and and so forth so somebody also told me the other day who was it I was talking to Jeff Renz he said that he interviewed some fellow a few months ago on his show that had tape recordings of a woman who said that she had been a nurse at Roswell. And there were several hours of tape recording, and she was an elderly lady, and that uh, she, in a series of talks, described what occurred at that time. Uh, he said very, very similar to the, uh, the story in this book that I published. So I haven't heard those. I asked him if, if there's any way that I could listen to those out of curiosity. Perhaps it's the same person or somebody who knows of the person or knows that they existed or didn't exist or whatever. Anyway, that to me is, I think, a fairly safe assumption. It is an assumption. But the fact that I, I couldn't personally uh, verify that she existed other than the voice that I heard and so forth as I describe in the book, uh, leads me to to a number of dead end. I just can't go beyond that, so perhaps well, other people can. Frank Warren, you've studied the Roswell case. What is the story about a nurse all supposed to be about? Well, when you mention nurse in Roswell, it goes back to Glenn Dennis, the, uh, who was the mortician at the time in 1947, and, of course, he got the call from the base about uh, small caskets, etc. He rushed to the base, having being the town uh, mortician. They were familiar with him. Uh, he went in, and presumably there was an autopsy going on. A nurse rushed out, which was a gal that he knew. He named that nurse. Uh, uh, what did, what, years what did later, he say her name was? Her name was Naomi, or what he said her name was Naomi Maria Self. Now, there's been a lot of investigation uh, on this issue. So anytime something comes up about a nurse, it all goes back to Glenn Dennis's statements, etc. The notion has been, for people that have uh, interviewed Glenn, is that he's being protective of the nurse, that he, he has never come across with the actual name of the individual. However, there, there were other witnesses that uh, recalled a, a Naomi Maria self, 
although to the best of my knowledge there's no documentation to to support that amongst the nurses that were there over the years it has uh, come about that there was an Adeline Fanton that was there that fits the description uh, that Glenn Dennis and others have described and and many think that that might be the nurse in question so when a book comes out uh, about a Roswell nurse period it all goes back to Glenn Dennis and uh, Adeline Fenton or Fanton uh, and or any one of those particular nurses. The key in this is that there's been a lot of research. All these nurses have been looked at. In fact, I'm looking at the, the Roswell uh, uh, base yearbook as we speak, which was Squadron M for medical, and I'm looking at pictures of the nurses. And, of course, there, wow. there are no O'Donnells, you know, in the base yearbook. So, you know, obviously, you know, first off, the, the telepathic communication, the whole thing, you, you're skeptical right off the bat. But to go back to the white elephant in the room, and I don't mean to be rude at all, Lawrence, but, but you, you've covered all the objections on this thing. Uh, by your own admission, you don't know if this person was real. I mean, as a ufologist, we have to go where the evidence is. And, yeah, and absolutely. There is not. I'm totally with you on that. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, it's don't don't shoot the messenger is your stance on this. It, it, all of us would say, okay, well, how can you prove what you're saying? And yeah, that's first exactly it. That, that's my first, that, that's my very first question. And I, I just have to be totally honest and say, you know what, I can't prove any of this. But particularly since the nature of the material and the fact that she says that this was a telepathic communication. I mean, if, how much more subjective can you get than that? I mean, there's nothing anybody can prove about any of that. I mean, that's what really... But in spite of all that, I decided that, the, that what's in the material was worth publishing because it, you know, I got some, I got some things out of it that I, I thought were enlightening. And I thought, well, perhaps other people could get something out of it too. People like you guys who know heck of a lot more about all this than I will ever know. Anyway, so I'm just, uh, I guess I'm, uh, maybe I'm trying to be uh, kind of a do-gooder here and I shouldn't, I should have just kept my mouth shut. I don't know. Okay, well, we all have a collective opinion here that we don't buy it, but all right, let's just take a look at the contents of the book. Let's get past page one. Okay, so she supposedly has telepathic communications with an alien. Under what circumstances did this kind of level of communications purportedly occur? Uh, well, it's uh, the only way I could comment on that is just to have you read uh, her exact recounting of what occurred. And it's right verbatim in the book. All right, but obviously not everybody who's listening to this program is going to buy the book, but they might be curious about it. So maybe you could summarize how did this communication or ongoing communications take place? Well, I, I could read you the section of the book that addresses that question. Well, I don't even know if this is a real question. We know there was well, telepathic communication. Have, uh, I actually right, have uh, the section of the letter that uh, included where she says how it came to be. Let me just read you. It's just a couple of paragraphs. Let's see. It says here uh, in the letter, in her letter, it says, As you know, in July 1947, the Roswell Army Airfield uh, issued a press release stating that personnel from the field's 509th Bomb Group had recovered a crashed flying disc from a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico, sparking intense media interest. Later the same day, the commanding general of the 8th Air Force stated that Major Jesse Marcel, who was involved with the original recovery of the debris, had recovered only the tattered remnants of a weather balloon. The true facts of the incident have been suppressed by the United States government since then. 
You may not know that I was enlisted in the U.S. Women's uh, Army Air Force Medical Corps, which was a part of the U.S. Army back then. I was assigned to the 509th Bomb Group as a flight nurse at the time of the incident. When the news that there had been a crash was received at the base, I was asked to accompany Mr. Cabot, the counterintelligence officer, to the crash site as the driver of his vehicle and to render any needed emergency medical assistance to any survivors if necessary. Therefore, I briefly witnessed the wreckage of an alien spacecraft as well as the remains of several alien personnel aboard the craft who were already dead. When we arrived, I learned that one of the personnel on aboard the craft had survived the crash and was conscious and apparently uninjured. The conscious alien was similar in appearance but not the same as the others. None of the other personnel present could communicate with the survivor as the being did not communicate verbally or by any recognizable signs. However, while I examined the patient for injuries, I immediately detected and understood that the alien being was attempting to communicate with me by mental images or telepathic thought, which projected directly from the mind of the being. I immediately reported this phenomenon to Mr. Cabot. As no other person present could perceive these thoughts and the alien seemed able and willing to communicate with me, it was decided after a brief consultation with a senior officer that I would accompany the surviving alien back to the base. This was partly due to the fact that I was a nurse and could attend to the physical needs of the alien as well as serve as a non-threatening communicator and companion. After all, I was the only woman at the site and the only one who was not armed. I was thereafter assigned permanently to serve as a companion of the alien at all times. My duty was to communicate with and interview the alien and to take a complete report of all that I had discovered to command authorities. Subsequently, I was supplied with a specific list of questions provided to me by military and non-military personnel, which I was to interpret for the alien and record the responses to the questions provided. Anyway, that that's apparently how she got involved in the whole thing. <laughs> Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. So, Frank... What do you think about UFOs? I saw one once. I think they're out there. You know, what, what they are, I don't know. Well, I believe that something is out there. I think that those things that you see in the sky are only one small manifestation of a whole wide range of phenomena that people haven't properly named or have attributed the wrong source to. Brain Tonic, the smart antidote to head fog. The world's first organic botanical-based caffeine-free think drink designed for mental focus and clarity. Tastes great, super safe, 
with no caffeine crash. Just great fuel for your cranium. No chemical preservatives, no sugar, no fake anything. Check it out at www.maxsales.com slash tonic. That's spelled with a T-O-N-I-Q. That's www.maxsales.com slash tonic. Again, the spelling T-O-N-I-Q. Check it out today. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. All right. What we're involved in, by the way, on the Paracast is a discussion about a book called Alien Interview with Lawrence R. Spencer, the editor, not the author, he says. And we have Frank Warren, Scott Ramsey joining us. David? So in reading the book, Lawrence, what I did was uh, looked at certain things that supposedly were expressed from the alien to the nurse. What's kind of interesting is that I'm what's known as a generalist. I like to study a lot of different things to different degrees of detail based on my interest. So when I read about stuff, I tend to look at things from this generalist point of view, and I use a combination of intuition and logic to figure out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. So now, in the content of this book... The alien being tells the nurse that Earth is essentially a prison planet, and that uh, which I'm actually not going to debate, uh, given that I know how my own feelings about this planet many times, and it often d- definitely feels that way. But then there's interesting stuff that is supposedly conveyed. Now you're saying here that you're not a researcher and you didn't look into the real hardcore issues of the identity of, of this person, but I'm also assuming you really didn't look very carefully. At the content either. You essentially say you reprinted this stuff as it came in her notes to you. No, that's not exactly true. Uh, Okay. I did go through the material, and as thoroughly as I could, I put, you know from having read the book, that it's about half of the content of the book is in the form of footnotes, right? Right, yes. So I did go through, and where where I saw something that I could verify through the encyclopedia or whatever as a... As a footnote, I put it in that place. So to say that I didn't research it is not correct to the Okay, let me let me let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it. You you went through you found some footnotes, but page seventy five. Okay. The reasons the alien tells the nurse that we're a prison plant. There are a number of reasons listed. One of the and some of these things are are kind of interesting to me. Uh Uh, Reason number two. Why would no one else besides the prisoners of the planet actually seriously consider living here? Reason number two, because of the liquid nature of the core, the planet is largely volcanic and subject to earthquakes and volcanic explosions. That's nonsensical. The, the, the okay. liquid, the, the molten iron nature of the core of the planet, what we think, we don't know, but we think this is what creates the uh, magnetic fields of the planet, to say that because the core is... The liquid nature, and it's not saying liquid iron, it's just saying liquid nature. The planet is largely volcanic. Uh, Now, I'm not a geologist, but to connect the magma and the volcanic and the tectonic plates to the liquid iron core of the planet, which is what creates magnetic fields, is like saying the refrigerator is cold because Gene is in the bathroom. It just doesn't make any sense. It okay. doesn't at all. Nothing. Zero. Okay. So, so there's a point there, right? You got it. There's a point there, compl- 
complete disconnection from logic. doesn't make any okay. sense. And what we know about the planet. Well, let's okay. go further. Let's go further. No, let's go down these points. Because, you know, it, uh, well, let's go to point number four. Earth is very distant from the center of the galaxy and from any other significant galactic civilization. This isolation makes it unsuitable for use except as a quote-unquote pit stop or jumping off point along the way between galaxies. Not between star systems, but between galaxies. The moon and asteroids are far more suitable for this purpose because they do not have significant gravity. Okay. So uh, we have craft, supposedly, because one of the things that's stated in, in this discussion between the alien and the nurse is that the group of beings that are represented by this creature, supposedly, which and, and they, they dub themselves the Domain. The Domain has dominion over a 25% chunk of the universe. That's what I read in, in the... Uh, that, that's what in the it, here, right? it says, yeah. Okay. Now, here's the thing. And again, I, I kind of, because I've worked on movies before, and because I have an interest in uh, the, the art of storytelling... When it comes to things like movies, I'm always fascinated by the issue of internal logic. And this is how you know when a story works or not. And you're a writer, so I'm sure you can appreciate this. There is this idea that in every book, in every story, there is some sort of internal logic by which the universe that's being depicted in the story holds together. Otherwise, if there's no internal logic, there's no coherency. Hence, stories don't work. All right. Yeah. So, right. Okay. So I we totally, have the. I totally get where I totally you get, get where I'm I, coming from. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. All right, great. So we have the moon and asteroids are far more suitable as ways to get between galaxies because they do not have any significant gravity. Again, that's sort of like saying, "I better not eat this ham sandwich before I get on the plane, otherwise the plane won't be able to take off." <laughs> it's silly. Yeah. It's just silly. Yeah, now, absolutely. if if you're reading this, and again, that's not even, I don't think that requires any great scientific understanding. It, it's just it's kind pretty, of goofy. Uh, when I read it, I went, originally I went, you know, a lot of this is like really goofy and way, way far-fetched. And, you know, do I believe it personally? Um, there are some parts of it that I think uh, are kind of enlightening. Uh, a lot of it is just I have no clue. I'm not a scientist. So... You know, absolutely, what you're saying is well, totally true. Lawrence, I'm not a scientist either, but I'm someone interested in science. I'm not a scientist. Uh-huh. I'm interested in science. I think science is a fascinating field, and I've always been interested in science personally. But you're an author who's written books that deal with deep philosophical and deep historical aspects of our being. So y- y- you kind of can't have it both ways. It seems to me, based on the other works that you've written, that you have a very good working knowledge of history, and you have a uh, of, his, well, of some parts of history. I do, yeah. Uh, that's right. always been my main interest is his- scientific anomalies, philosophical anomalies. This is this, these are your own words I'm using, my friend. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, if she or whomever mailed the material to me. Uh, had read my book, and if this were contrived based on and sent to me because the material in my book is is similar, then you know I could totally understand that. I completely that. All right, then then you uh, see. Can okay. I prove it? No, I can't prove it. But then, 
this is, I think, what we're trying to understand, based on what you're saying, is why you would release this with your name on it. I don't feel like you've given us an answer to that. I, I, and I understand something. I realize that it's going to be not very productive here for us to try to question you about the veracity of the content of the book because what you're going to say, and I'm going to be psychic here for a moment, what you're going to say is that you didn't write this, that you're just conveying what was written in these, in these notes she sent you, and so you can't verify or, or confirm any of the information because you're just a conduit. You're not, you didn't write the information, so how can you answer questions about it if you didn't write it? Yeah, I now, don't see how I could state that more plainly. Right, okay. And so I'm saying I understand that. So to question you about hand, the, I can yeah. totally understand anyone's argument that you know anybody who reads the the stuff or reads my other books or whatever they could come back and they they could say well obviously you wrote this and this is your thing and my only answer to that is is I wish I had that kind of creative imagination to come up with with some of the stuff in this book then the transcripts that are just like to me really off the edge of the map I mean I couldn't Why? imagine Why? No. Based on what I'm reading up here about Pan, God of the Woods, and the Oz factors, you'd certainly be entirely capable of coming up with it. And I'm not claiming that you have, all right? Other people might claim that. I'm not even going to say that. Okay, what we well, have, that's flattering. All right? I suppose that's flattering. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, take, so take it as you will. But now, let's yeah. get that out of the way. What we still have, what we do have here that we can say is that you have put this material out with your name on it. Correct. Well, Why? How else, how else would it be done? Uh, if let me. Oh, there's a there's a. Let me interject here, gentlemen. Would you do? I yeah. think the point that uh, David's trying to make is. I mean, how one of you, your arguments. I don't know any other way to, to get. Okay, we're overlapping. Let Frank let Frank ask his question because if we have four people talking together, nobody knows what's going on. Frank. Yeah, Lawrence. I, I think what the, the point that David's trying to make is part of your argument is is that you didn't want to go through the rigmarole that uh, that you would perceive by putting this book out. Uh, which is one of the reasons you destroyed the evidence, but you're going you're going through that anyway. And one of the re one of the ways to get past that is just do it anonymously. That I that I think is his question. Why why, exactly. well, why I don't, put your you name on it? Uh, at all? You can't publish a book anonymously, as far as I know. You have to somebody has to have a copyright or, you or have under to have a pseudonym, a seller's number, and all that kind of stuff. And the book publisher requires that you can't just put. A fictional name to it. You've got to have a physical address. You've got to have all this identification. They won't publish an anonymous document. Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence. I asked at the beginning that we all be intellectually honest here, Lawrence. Okay. Let's think of the best-selling book in all of human history. <laughs> so, uh, let me see. Was it written anonymously? Uh, Bing. Yes. Best-selling book. book all of history. Best-selling book. All of human history. The Bible? Ah, the man wins a prize. Yeah. Okay. Anonymous. Anonymous. No sourcing at all. Anonymous. Now, I'm just picking one example. There are many books published all the time. Anonymously. There are books that are published in the political realm. Anonymously. For, for darn good reasons. All right? There are, I, you know, we could go through it. I could spend ten minutes looking this up and coming back to you with a long list Oh, books published okay, anonymously. I got it. So if you right. had received the documents, you would have published it anonymously. I get the point. No, he wouldn't but have he published it at all because he has no way to vet oh. the documentation. There's no yeah. way. We would not have published it. There's nobody here on this panel 
I can just speak for Frank Warren. I could speak for David Biedney. I could speak for Scott Ramsey. And I could certainly speak for Gene Steinberg because we've all had things published in our names. And I would wow. say to you that we all get material. And not a single one of us would have published this material because there's no way to vet this material. It's just somebody who says, I communicate with aliens by telepathy. We have thousands of claims like that in the UFO field right now. And uh, yeah, we don't, do some people will publish it. We won't. Got it. Okay. I, I totally agree. I mean, I completely understand what you're saying. And uh, I'm not saying that, that what I did is uh, correct or logical or anything. I just did what I did. It's a little... Mm-hmm. That's well, what it is. well, I would argue that there that there is a way to vet the material had had you held on to the material. I mean, I'm I'm sure for somebody who's interested in doing that and has the time and resources and so forth, uh, I would imagine I'm not that person. I, do, I right. don't I just don't have the time and the resources or the yeah. whatever to do it. I so what's the living. point? I don't for, have for heaven's the sake, time Lawrence, to go do that kind of Lawrence, thing. Lawrence, for heaven's sake, what is the point of publishing this book. Yes, we understand with Lulu Books, you don't have to put an upfront investment. You just have to send them a PDF version of the manuscript plus a cover, and they will sell the book for you, they will market it for you, and they will give you a piece of the pie. You could use it for charity, whatever. Okay. But it still requires work to sit there and put all this material together and then to send it out. Yeah, it does. It takes. Uh, it took me several hundred hours to put all the footnotes in it and organize it and type it and all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Now the question is also: Did this come as typewritten material, or what? In other was words, it handwritten? I, was it written I, I in typed, ink? I typed the notes and the transcripts. I typed manually into word processor rather than scanning it or doing anything like that. I typed it because the material that I received was in a. Just written on notebook paper and typed on pieces of paper and so forth. It wasn't really particularly well organized. So most of what I did was uh, I literally edited it. I served as I put it all together in what sequence I thought was logical, and I put the footnotes in it and put it out. Did you make any changes in the manuscript? Not to add anything or alter anything. Okay, you didn't change it for grammatical reasons or for spelling or anything else. There were some obvious spelling errors, and there probably still are. If you were to read it carefully, you'd probably still find spelling errors or type, typographical errors in it. I can't swear that it's uh, perfect, but it's as good as I could do. All right. Before we proceed any further with part two of the show, if anyone after all this still is interested in learning more about this book, Lawrence, where do they go? Well, you can go to, uh, there is a website for the book, alieninterview.org, and you can read what's on there, which is all content of the book, and you can order a copy of the uh, book from lulu.com, either as a PDF file or as a printed uh, copy of the book, either one. Okay, we have a link, by the way, to that on the Paracast. We'll be back, part two, with Lawrence Spencer, Frank Warren, Scott Ramsey, on the Paracast. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and Dana. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at 
theparacast.com. Hour number two of the Paracast. We're talking with Lawrence Spencer, editor of a book called Alien Interview. And we have joining us Scott Ramsey, Frank Warren. David, why don't you pick up on part two? Lawrence, on the cover of the book, there's a picture of the woman. Who is that? That's a picture I found of a, of a nurse on the Internet. Okay. A nurse that's sort of from that, from that era. I have no idea who it is. <sighs> sort a of a mess. I was going to have, so that, that's not connected to oh. Matilda at all. No, that's what I was asking earlier. You know, uh, this thing. A couple of people have said there's this whole thing about nurses who supposedly were at Roswell. Apparently, there were more than one of them. Maybe. I mean, who knows? Uh, and obviously, I don't have any pictures, so I had to find one that I could use for the book cover. And this particular picture seemed to fit the era, so I, I used that one just for the purposes of illustration. But personally, I'm kind of becoming fascinated by this whole idea that there were one or more nurses at Roswell. And it seems to me if, if that could, the fact that there were or were not nurses at Roswell could be substantiated, that might shed a lot of light on this whole issue. If there were no nurses at Roswell to begin with, then um, well, there, there were, you know, obviously nurses. this material is not from where it's supposed to you know, claim to have come from. Well, there, there were nurses at Roswell. In fact, I'm looking at a picture of four of oh, them there were. from the okay. base yearbook of 47. That's been researched and proven and, and documented. Yeah, were they, were they in, uh, were, is there any evidence that they were uh, involved in the, the alleged UFO crash? I mean, nobody even knows for sure that, the, that there was a UFO that crashed there, as far as I know. I mean, if we want to get down to the real hardcore aspects well, of uh, credibility or incredibility... Well, of course, that's another argument. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's another show. I couldn't even tell you. I have I mean, I don't know of anybody who can actually factually substantiate that there was actually even a crash at Roswell. It's just all hearsay and conjecture and circumstantial. And well, no, it's, I guess it's, there are eyewitnesses. Certainly much or, more than that, Lawrence. Yeah, well, I don't know. But as far as the, the nurses are concerned... Um, well, um, that's even more interesting now. You're basically skeptical of the entire Roswell incident. Is that right, Lawrence? Pretty much, yeah. I mean... Uh, I mean, you guys are, as I as I say, you guys are much, much more well-versed than I am in this. I'm sort of a, you know, I have my areas of interest, but I'm no, in no way, shape, or form a, a UFO uh, enthusiast, or I don't follow it particularly and so forth. I've, I sort of read what I read from time to time. You know, I think everybody, the exposure that we have to the whole UFO phenomena on television and everywhere is just like overwhelming. I mean, it's just as a as a subject matter it's just okay so this is my duh moment here okay ladies and gentlemen this is my moment where i say duh and what i mean is i'm confused here lawrence more than ever you know and people think i'm confused in general david says that every single day at least once an hour (laughs) when i'm in touch with him this steinberg guy that Jewish guy from Brooklyn Indeed. You know, and I have no idea what he just said, but okay, I'm confused here. I understand if you accepted the possibility that Roswell, New Mexico, UFO crash had some possibility of reality to it, that UFOs, one or more UFOs did crash there. And since they crashed, that raises the possibility of recovering an alien. But now you have a book out there that you've edited, you say you've edited, that not only talks about the crash as being something real, but represents a communication with an alien. 
but you don't even believe the core story involved. And I'm not understanding me, this. What does that have to do with me? It doesn't have to do with what I believe or I don't Well, it has something to do whole... with you because you decided to spend hundreds of hours of your time putting this yeah, book together. Well, personally, to answer your question, yes. Do I personally think that the possibility that UFOs exist and that there could have been a crash at Roswell? Absolutely. I most, most ardently believe that UFO phenomena is real as uh, personally because you know but uh, as far as the Roswell incident itself I don't I don't know what really is more convincing to me about UFO phenomena than anything are, are like um the video films that people have taken and reports made by you know credible observers like policemen and airplane pilots and air force personnel and all of that sort of thing people who would know what they're looking at to me, those those kinds of reports are believable. To me, everything else is just like uh, somebody's opinion, or I mean, whatever. I mean, your opinion is as good as my opinion. But uh, I, personally, I tend to think that you know, videos and photographs and reports from eyewitnesses who are trained and you know, at least credible. You know, they're public servants and whatnot. To me, that kind of evidence makes me more convinced that UFOs are, are actual than other types of evidence. But that's just my personal opinion. Lawrence, the distinction is that there's there's no debate about the existence of UFOs, and this is where uh, the the layperson gets confused. The debate is what the origin of UFOs are. Uh, in fact, the very term UFO was born by the Air Force officially, in 1952. So there's no debate about the existence of UFOs. The argument is, what is the origin of UFOs? Well, I mean, it depends on who you're... As I understand it, if you were to debate it with the United States government, they would categorically and always have denied that UFOs exist. That, well, period. no, that's not true. You're, you're changing the definition of UFO. A UFO is oh, an okay. unidentified I'm, flying object. It's not an alien okay. craft. It's an unidentified flying object. Oh, okay. I'm using the, the wrong the, word. The there. government, the Air Force, they they do not deny that. They, in fact, they invented the term. They coined the oh, phrase. Oh, got it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but they would deny that there are extraterrestrial craft. Is, is and that have. correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about that. The end of Project Blue Book. They never said they don't exist. They said they were not perceived as a military threat. Okay, we're listening to Scott Ramsey now. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, oh. go ahead, Scott. It, it, am I right, Frank? That's, that's correct. Yeah. They didn't deny their existence. They just did not perceive them as a threat to our national security or a military. No kidding. Threat. They actually said the government actually acknowledges that there are extraterrestrial vehicles. Well, but but, well that's not the key factor. They were using the term UFO. They did not. The, 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 the onus that it was not about extraterrestrial craft. It was about wow. a UFO. I actually, I had no idea. I always thought had this idea that the government just refuses to acknowledge anything about it whatsoever. Yeah, no. Let's let's make something clear here, and this is uh, I'm doing this in order to not have to slice Larry King's head off. UFO stands for unidentified flying object. There is absolutely no designation to the sourcing of that unidentified flying object in honest circles. That the word alien has been connected with unidentified flying object is due more to the incredible levels of ignorance of people who are typically interested in this topic and not anything to do with any actual provable 
reality. And this is where so many of us get so frustrated when we see the term alien and we watch, when I watch the decrepit, senile Larry King saying, Is it alien? Was well, it alien, Julie? Is it alien? Um, he's showing the depths of the depravity of his now shot mind that doesn't understand that an unidentified flying object is just that. There is no, in any way, connection of sourcing. And it's sad, I think, personally, because, of course, I'm known to hold back my opinions on the show. It's well, sad. You're certainly doing it now. Speak up, David. Tell <laughs> us what you really think. You don't need David. No, no, no problem. Uh, sugar coating <laughs> is, is bad for you. Now, uh, Lawrence, here's a question. Please tell us about the charity that you are donating all of the proceeds of this book to. I'd like some more information so that I can send them some money. Who are they? It's a 501c3 uh, entity that's called, uh, operates under the name of Maximum Access. They raise money, they're just beginning, actually, it's a new enterprise, raising money to provide recreation equipment to schools and after-school programs and all of that sort of thing. They'll be putting up a website probably in the next three or four months, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just got their nonprofit status approved. But anyway, that's a cause that I personally think is worthwhile. I'm a big sports fan. Um, I created a, a sports news type website because I'm a big sports fan. I love to play tennis. And uh, I think that school kids uh, in this day and age don't have access to recreation activities or equipment in the schools like they did when I was a kid growing up. We had to take physical education as a mandatory requirement for graduation, and we had all kinds of uh, equipment provided to us and playgrounds and all that sort of thing. But uh, lately, because of all the cutbacks in, in school funding and so forth, the parents themselves are becoming more and more responsible for having to pay for their kids' um, physical activities. And mm-hmm. to the degree that they can't and to the degree that their dietary habits are so poor, we have a, this gigantic problem with childhood obesity in this country, uh, partly because of the diet, partly because people just don't get out and get enough exercise. And some of that has to do with the fact that they don't have a place to play or equipment to play with, either in school or after school. So. Okay. Just as a personal thing that I have, because I well, uh, yeah. like sports, I would like to contribute to that. So when that, their website becomes available and so forth, I'll, I'll put uh, a okay. link to that uh, up on my site for the book, so that people can donate to it. I would love that. All right. Well, this this leads me into what I was going to ask you, because it sounds to me like this is an organization that you believe in. It sounds like your support of this organization is a completely positive thing. Is there any reason that you don't mention them either on the alieninterview.org site or on the Lulu page? Uh, yeah, there's apps they, you know, don't, they don't have a, uh, they're not set up to receive funding yet. They just got their, their nonprofit status and they're in the process of getting a website put together. But as soon as it's prepared, I most definitely will make that known. Okay, but right now can. you're going to donate the money. So you're just holding this money in a bank account. Well, what money? The I money received you- a nickel. <laughs> I, I, I haven't been paid a nickel for anything, Gene. Okay. <laughs> Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? 
Conspiracy Journal, and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net, and we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications, and you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos, and it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at webtv.net. Hi, this is Brad Steiger, and I'm in the Paracast with James Steinberg and David Vietney. Join us as we explore new dimensions of thought. We're talking to Lawrence Spencer, I mean, editor of the know, Alien it, Interview book. People, and we have Frank have Warren. Decide. Excuse me, sir. We have Frank Warren and Scott Ramsey joining us. You were about okay. to say. Yeah, I was just saying, people have this idea that because you've written a book or you published a book or your magazine or a website or something, that automatically you're a millionaire because you have something published. Boy, that couldn't be farther from the truth. You probably know that as well as I do. I've read that there are something like 300,000 new books published every year, something in that order, and the number of websites that exist are just beyond calculation. So, you know, to assume that I that I have any money motivation or I've received or will receive any money for this couldn't be farther from well, the truth. Well, now, wait a minute. We're not making assumptions here. And as someone who's written a, a few books and who's been published in magazines, eh, I think it's about eight or 900 times now, uh, I've written books and I've written magazine articles because I enjoy the topics I write about. But I, I do get paid for what I do. You make a good uh, living at it. Oh, I wouldn't say I make a great living at it. No, I actually use it to support other endeavors half the time. Yeah, I don't. I've never made enough money from writing to pay for the gasoline it takes to drive to the bank to deposit the royalty check. I, I work for a living, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's... Uh, if I were really a good writer, I suppose I could. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dean Koontz, you know, the thriller writer and so forth. And I'm sure guys like that make lots of money publishing. Uh, books, but, yeah, uh, they're not. It doesn't. It doesn't take a good writer to make money writing. I mean, look at Danielle Steele. Oh. She's a crappy writer and she makes plenty of money. Okay. So, so that's certainly not what it's about. And one of the things that's become clear to me in the past two and a half years of looking into the world of personalities that talk about these topics, I've come to understand very directly that money is not what motivates a lot of people in this field. What motivates a lot of people, not all people, I'm not making gross generalizations here, but certainly the desire to be listened to, the desire to be heard, I think in many ways is for many people much more of a motivation than money. So, so just understand that you know we're not trying to draw black and white scenarios here. This is all about subtlety. This is all about things that are stated. When you talk about agendas, I think the most compelling agendas are the ones that are not obvious. And in terms of, uh, again, when I look at your particular book here, The Alien Interview, and I want to say this again because I think it bears repeating, a book with your name on it. When you state, well, people don't write books anonymously, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, with you here, Lawrence. 
I don't believe you really believe that. Okay. All right. I got it. I totally okay. understand what you're saying. So, you know, when we talk about why would somebody release a book, motivations are not always very obvious. When people get involved with this field, very often, like you said before, this is your statement, that people are interested in the topic of UFOs. That's why Larry King will have three shows on three Friday nights in a row. That's why the History Channel has Bill Burns and his merry band of pranksters out doing ghost hunters. Bill Burns is not doing this for his health. Bill Burns uh, was on Larry King with his UFO magazine cap on his head. This was also not an accident. He might claim that it was subconscious, but I know Bill, and I know Bill doesn't do things by accident like that. Bill Burns claimed that they had a piece of an alien artifact that they were investigating right now. Whether or not he has anything doesn't really matter. That he said it will make people go to buy the magazine, will make people go and buy the, and go to the website and click on its links. Half of this is, is, is really a battle for eyes and for minds. And, you know, certainly if someone is going to want to make themselves be known in a field, it makes a lot of sense to get involved with controversy in any way. Now, what Frank brought out before, earlier on in this interview, was, was really interesting, and, and I think he's right. You do have an answer that pretty much fits everything, and by sort of putting yourself in the position as the, the editor... It's kind of like Scott McClellan saying, well, I didn't really know what Bush and his guys were doing. I was just the front end, which we know now is you know, it's not a very strong argument for backing up one's position as a disseminator of information, as a source for information. So when we look at the fact that you say you put hundreds of hours into this, you put this out there with your name on it, but you're really ambivalent about the material, but you put hundreds of hours of it in you don't necessarily well, the, believe the it. The hours but, I put in that were right. putting in the, looking at the, what I thought were appropriate footnotes and right. putting the footnotes in there. I mean, it's just a, it's like I said, it's an editing job. And that, it just takes lots, you know, it takes lots of hours to edit things. That's all. It's like writing a term paper. It's just Why would you spend that editing. time on material you don't believe in? I didn't say I didn't believe in it. You said that. I said, I'm done. I, have, I, I, I said okay. that I'm skeptical about it. I think there's right. lots of stuff in there that's pretty far-fetched from my point of view. But it's like I, I keep repeating, my opinion is one yeah. opinion in billions of opinion. Your your opinion is just as valid and, and probably even more so than mine because you have lots and lots of background in this sort of thing. I don't. No, I don't. So I Actually, I don't. To know, no, I don't. You know, no, 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 hold on a minute, Lawrence. I'd be more I interested have, to know what yeah. you think about it than what I think about it. Yeah, my opinion is irrelevant here. In yeah, fact, that's um, what I say. My opinion is irrelevant too. Yeah, oh, good. I'm glad we agree on that. I, uh, uh, I'm not selling content in this genre. I have nothing for sale here. I have written extensively on technology. I've written almost nothing on this topic. What is it? Oh, I thought that I'm. I'm sorry, I was mistaken. I thought your your website, which is called uh, Paracast. The Paracast is the name of our I show. I don't know much yeah. about it. Isn't isn't that all about paranormal phenomena and all yeah, that sort of thing? Absolutely. Okay. So I'm not quite sure why you don't have an interest in it. Oh, I didn't say I don't have an interest in it. I said I'm not an expert in it. That's oh, what I, I said. Okay. I never said I. Of course, obviously. I'm not crazy and stupid enough to spend many hours on something I don't have an interest in. 
Uh, I'm not that nuts yet. Uh, that comes tomorrow. I, that comes tomorrow. Right. What, sure. what I am is someone who's an experiencer who has witnessed many paranormal things, who does not claim to have answers, but who is interested in talking about this in the possible quest of even some understanding. I don't claim to have any greater understanding than anyone else. I would submit that people like Frank Warren, certainly in terms of Roswell, knows a hell of a lot more than I do. Gene has been actively involved in the field since he was a teenager. I'm, I'm on the other hand, I'm, I'm kind of the weird guy out. I'm the guy who's had all the paranormal experiences, who's been completely secretive about them most oh. of my life, and is now essentially out in the open talking about it because of a sincere interest. Oh. But I don't claim to have any answers. I certainly have a number of opinions, but my opinions don't, I don't think, really mean anything more than the next guy. The only thing that my opinions, I think, have weight on is the analysis of photographic evidence. There, I do have qualified opinions, because let's face it, there's a huge difference between everybody's opinion about something and a qualified opinion. So Frank Warren and Scott Ramsey, absolutely, they're going to have much more qualified opinions on anything about Roswell than I do. For my money, Roswell is... I have the same point of view, like I said earlier. I think... You know, what really gets my attention is if, if uh, uh, a U.S. Air Force pilot, you know, makes a report of sighting a UFO, that guy I would listen sure. to. Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure, before absolutely. I would listen to other people, because that guy is trained, and he should know what he's looking at. So Damn to right. To me, that's a much more credible source mm-hmm. than some some guy out in the woods all by himself saying he was abducted by aliens is... You know, fine, whatever. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm not really impressed by that, but I am. I am impressed by, as you say, you know, qualified observers. I, sure. To me, that's interesting. So let's say a guy sends me a manuscript in the mail saying that Jesus was a chocolate bar and God is a raccoon, and let's say they've got some really good points that they make why Jesus is not only a chocolate bar but a fine European dark chocolate bar, not crappy Hershey's junk and God is a raccoon because as we all know the universe is made of raccoon molecules now someone sends me a long diatribe about this and I'll look at it and um, I will say well you know uh, this person's opinion is is valid Uh, for all I know Jesus as a chocolate bar makes more sense as Jesus as a Jewish carpenter so what will I do will I find the Jesus expert and say I don't know sounds like Jesus might really well be a really fine like, you know, Swiss chocolate bar? Or do I put out a book recounting this person's notes to myself with my name on the cover and then expect no one from the Catholic Church is going to call me to ask what the hell I'm talking about? What the hell do you mean Jesus is a chocolate bar? It would seem a little disingenuous to think that I would put that book out there and wouldn't have some seriously pissed off evangelicals coming after me. I'm just saying. And it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an excellent analogy. Well, I always try to work Jesus and chocolate to the same sentence. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing here, Lawrence... I've never heard that one before. That's a good Yeah, point. well, I, I do what I can, then I improvise. The problem here is that at this point, I sure as hell don't understand why you even came on this show. Neither. Why'd you come on this show, right? You neither, I huh? came because you invited me, and right. that, that's all. Okay. You want to go skydiving? No, actually, I have no interest in skydiving. To me, that sounds like a 
a really ill-advised thing to jump out of a perfectly good plane at 10,000 feet in the air. I mean, I guess I can understand the potential thrill of it, but I can also understand the potential life-ending consequences if something happens. Yeah, yeah. I don't like heights, so I wouldn't jump. I, I don't even like getting on planes, must jump, yeah. much less jumping yeah. on them. I, I was just wondering what you would say. I was just curious. I have yeah, no more questions. I don't, Guys. I don't have, I mean, you know, yeah. like I said, I'm probably just as skeptical, maybe even more than, than you. I did what I did because I did it. Uh, I'm not going to try to justify it and say that it was wonderful or right or righteous or anything right. else. It could be the most stupid, colossal, blunderous error that I've ever made. That's totally possible. So if that's what it is, then that's what it is. I'll tell you what, just in case people want to check out this blunder personally, where do they go again? Well, they can go to the the website, alieninterview.org, and they can uh, read what's on there, and they can get a copy of the book through the link there to lulu.com, which is the publisher, and uh, get a PDF version of it or hard copy. The PDF version, as you know, if somebody has a PDF version, they can email it all over the planet. I mean, it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with the publisher. A PDF document is you can send it in and email anywhere you want. So, But it does have a copyright on it, so that you wouldn't want them to do that because that would have a copyright on it. So they oh, could well, do has, that, uh, right? They but could, they'd be breaking the law. I guess you, I don't, as far as I know, you can t- attach a PDF to an email and send it anywhere. Yeah, but you'll still be violating copyright by shipping it off. If I assume there's a copyright notice, I guess I could look at my copy, but I do believe... Uh, you have a copyright notice on this, so that if I sent it off to people, that would be in clear violation of your copyright, and uh, that would be against the law. Oh, okay. That's sort of publishing 101. I'm assuming, oh yeah, there we go, copyright 2008 by Lawrence R. Spencer. All rights reserved. That means if anybody well, I mean, take uh, it... Doesn't the yeah. copyright protect other people from selling the same material? You know, or It's a matter of distribution, by the way, Scott. I can't give out like that it. book... I can't print that book, reproduce that book, and send it out to other people because the copyright says I can't do that. You reserve the rights, all rights reserved. That means that Lawrence Spencer has the right to determine how this book is going to be distributed. So if you send me a copy and I say, Lawrence, can I send a copy on to David? Fine. Or to a few other people, that would be fine. But if I decide to do a mass mailing to everybody on the Paracast newsletter mailing list, you would say, no, that's not right. I understand oh, I about review copies and stuff. You know, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know why. I, I say in, in the book my reasons for for forwarding the material the way I have. In the letter that I receive, she says, can you please get this information out to as many people as possible? So I'm going, okay, I, I'm willing to do that for my own my own reasons and if you read the book you can you can kind of get what my reasons are for having done that or not I don't know but frankly if if you sent a PDF copy of the book all over the planet I don't think there's anything I could do about it and frankly I don't think I would even object okay well maybe I will include this as an attachment in next well now hold on a minute excuse me Gene Excuse sure. me. Lawrence, are you then saying that you grant us the ability, the right, to send this PDF to our listeners who express an interest in it? I don't see any reason why not. I'm asking I, you for a yes or I no. Object? Why would I so, object? So you agree Sir, to it? If you want to do that, you have my total permission. If I'll 
send me a letter, I'll sign it. It's over. You heard it here first on the Paracast. Okay, well, anyway, thank you so much, Lawrence Spencer, for joining us and talking about Alien Interview on the Paracast. On the next section, we're going to have Frank Warren, Scott Ramsey, joining David and myself for the wrap-up. Brain Tonic, the smart antidote to head fog. The world's first organic botanical-based caffeine-free think drink designed for mental focus and clarity. Tastes great, super safe, with no caffeine crash. Just great fuel for your cranium. No chemical preservatives, no sugar, no fake anything. Check it out at www.maxsales.com slash tonic. That's spelled with a T-O-N-I-Q. That's www.maxsales.com slash tonic. Again, the spelling T-O-N-I-Q. Check it out today. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Piani. You never know what's going to happen next. On this final well, portion of the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, we have Frank Warren and Scott Ramsey. And listeners, for the first hour and a half of the show, you've heard Lawrence Spencer. You've heard our skepticism. He's also heard, by the way, his giving us authority to distribute this book. And we will make it available, a link on our PowerCast message forums, by the way. Frank, okay, you've been watching the Roswell incident for a long, long time. Do you agree this is just some sort of red herring that came our way? Well, look, at, at the end of the day, what do we have? We have absolutely nothing. We have an anecdote. We have a gentleman that's come up. He's, uh, for wh- whatever motivation, with, you know, which is, in my mind, irrelevant, uh, he's done this book. He, right in the disclaimer, that I think two or three pages in, he says, I, I can't verify who this person was. I don't know if they were real. I could have been hoaxed. And by the way, I didn't want to be bothered by any ufologist, so I destroyed all the evidence. Oh, and quite frankly, here right at the end, the this person is now dead. Any way to investigate this thing, other than the content that we have to take his word on, that he copied line for line, word for word, the evidence is gone. Uh, there's, there's no way to go down this road uh, except for the book in itself. <laughs> You know, it, and he's got an answer for all that. Look, don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger. I, I don't believe it either. I'm skept, skeptical about this person that called me. So you've got two roads to go down. I mean, either this guy uh, invented this story, and which, by the way, I won't mention a name, but a well-known uh, Roswell researcher claimed that he contacted Lawrence, and, and I, I don't like to do this when he's not here to defend himself, but I meant to bring this up earlier, that he contacted Lawrence, and Lawrence said uh, that the book was fiction. Interestingly enough, the publisher had the book listed as science fiction, and now it's been changed to uh, biographies and uh, uh, hmm. whatever else they entitled it, opposed to to a fictional book. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you That's go? Kind of interesting. Well, I think it's great now that we have Lawrence's statement on air that we can give this book to our listeners. I think that's a fantastic thing. Let our listeners make up their minds. Of course, one could argue that that's viral marketing for his other works. And that's that's all good and fine. I loves me the the viral marketing, uh, but uh, one of the things that that struck me in looking into the other books he's written is that they do seem to fall in line with the tone and the specifics of the content imparted in the alien interview. They they, they fit well within the cosmology he's established in his other books. 
Uh, I don't. I don't think that's an accident. Quite frankly, I just don't think it is. Oh, it's great marketing. Yeah. Um, to to me, I, the guy seems like a nice enough guy. I got no problems with the guy personally. Of course, when you have a author who's been published more than once, who you know doesn't doesn't have a handle on copyright, I, I don't know. I'm a New Yorker, and I guess that's why I have problems with a lot of this stuff. I I, I do look for internal logic and in things. In looking at any of these um, stories that have uh, questionable, if not uh, unverifiable sourcing, I try to look at the the entire situation. I try to take it all into account and uh, use a combination of logic and intuition. What I found was that Lawrence did indeed contradict himself, and to me, that's that that's a problem of internal logic. And um, in the end, the destruction of the documents. There is no answer to that that's reasonable. There just isn't. That, yes, that's a hard pill to swallow. Why yeah. would you destroy the very documents uh, that could support your claim? I have a big problem with that. Yeah, yeah, big flags up. Yeah. Well, why even make the claim if you can't see? This is a thing. Why make the claim if you're not interested in supporting it? This is the thing, that, that the idea that you put out a book of this material, you put your name on the cover, you know damn well. The alien interview with my name. And uh, you've got to figure at that point, you have to know people are going to come after you and ask you questions. Certainly. It's, you, it's simply disingenuous. Yeah, I mean, it's disingenuous to say, well, I'm not going to deal with those people. And that's why I destroyed the documents so I don't have to deal with them. But here's my name. Come find me. It's like, well, actually, we have a word for that. It's called masochism. <laughs> <laughs> it just is. And, you know, there are people who enjoy, you know, being being beat up. Oh, wait, Gene, there's a f- Michael Horn's on the phone for you. No, sorry. Anyway, this is uh, when, when we have this kind of a situation, it is more noise in the field. And it's not like we don't have enough noise. Now, I did indeed read this book. I read the whole thing. Um, you have kind of my sympathies here, David, for doing that. No, 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 that's all right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I, well, look, I've said to you many times, Gene, if we're going to have people on, I believe in reading what they've written um, so that we're not like George Snorri. You know, who he doesn't, I, I guess, uh, you know, he's still getting through that compilation of Archie comics. But, you know, I, I, I just, I do believe in reading the stuff, and I read the stuff, it's bad science fiction. It's not even good science fiction. And so this is where I, I come to the point of, okay, well, let's say somebody wrote this, made it up, sent it to him. You're going to put your own name on it? That's not, that just not, is, it's not a good thing to do. Well, let, look, let's take him at his word and let's, okay. assume, let's assume he was hoaxed. All right. And I haven't read the book, but I have read snippets and so forth and so on. First off, one of the things that I noticed right off the bat is the way uh, uh, her signature was. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, generally when somebody uh, notes that they're retired from the military, uh, that the R.E.T. follows the rank. In one of the documents I had, that wasn't signed that way. Also, uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was she said that she was part of the Woman's Army Air Corps Medical Unit. Well, I, I did a little research on that. That that unit did not exist the way that she wrote it. Now, there, there was a woman's medical corp, but it, it, it was not. Uh, and, of course, then we have the WAX. There was the, uh, uh, the Women's Army Corps, those two separate entities, but not as the way that she wrote it. Then the vernacular of how this was described, using the word alien back in 1947. 
And again, this is from an elderly person. Some the the other parts of it, not not just the uh, the transcript of the mental telepathy and all of that, but the later the uh, the later communication that he supposedly had with an elderly person. It did not sound like an elderly person. The vernacular did not fit. I mean, even if you just want to pick it apart at that point, uh, mm-hmm. just take him on his word. None of that fits. Uh, you, if you talk to some of the elderly Roswell witnesses, they described the aliens. They described them as little people. Uh, they didn't say alien or extraterrestrial or anything like that. So the well, vernacular doesn't even well, fit. With now hold on, but, but just in all fairness, I mean, if we're talking about her communication with him. Is, is that what we're talking about? Yes. All right. So it's entirely possible. I, and I'm, I don't want to defend the story, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a moment. It's certainly possible that all of these years have gone by since the event. It's, it's not inconceivable that she would have used the terminology of alien because of all of the cultural indoctrination that's happened since then. Well, may, we're now, maybe I'm wrong, but correct me yeah. if I'm wrong because I haven't read the book. Isn't a good portion of that a transcript of what went on at the time in 1947 in addition to later communications back in 98? I can understand the fact that the the vernacular is different in 98. You know, I have to, I, for 20 minutes on the phone. All right, I have to go look at that. And and while we're talking here, I'll do just that. I I'm not sure. Let me go look and and see if indeed she's saying that that terminology was referenced in that way at the time. Let me let me take a look at that cuz maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't want to I don't want to say something that's not true. I'm not like Gene. <laughs> yeah, I do that too often. David just really rides me for it. Yeah. Anyway. And of course, you have the the uh, the notion that this gal snuck out this transcription. Yeah, well, between yeah, there's th- there's that. Yeah, there's yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how she could get away with that, uh, you know? I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, but uh, if you want to get into arguing these points on something that's completely unverifiable, right? Uh, you know, without any written documents in hand. Well, once okay, you can so- verify it, you can cover all your bases here. But this does not preclude this guy from actually coming on radio shows. He was happy to accept our invitation. I expect that if George Snorri decides to invite him to talk about this, he will also be happy Art, to go on that show. Art, where did I put my speed? Art. I'm and, sorry. And he um, will be. That That's going to happen, I'll guarantee it. In fact, yeah, I, yeah. I listened uh, to him the other day on another uh, uh, lesser-known radio show. Uh, So that's happening. Obviously, he knew what he was in for, uh, documents in hand or no. (laughs) I mean, that argument's ridiculous for him to say, well, I've gotten rid of the the documents, so now I'm safe. Yeah, no, it's a little silly. Um, Just by the way here, I'm looking at the very first page of what's officially, what's the official transcript of interview, top secret. Let's start there. Just top secret? Uh, official transcript of the U.S. Army Air Force Roswell Airfield 509th Bomb Group. Subject, alien interview, 9.7.1947. So, yeah, supposedly that term alien is in the official transcript. Yeah. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. 
Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Talking to Frank Warren and Scott Ramsey, who has been very quiet so far, but has been listening and studying it's, it's and a very meditating. rare occasion, by the way. Yeah, That's this right. is very yeah. rare for me. <laughs> he, he doesn't like the fact I'm making fun of his uncle, Nori. So, you know, yeah. get over us, Scott. <laughs> Seriously, Scott, he just yeah. laughed a lung out. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, before your lungs are laughed out, I really want to know what do you think of this whole craziness? And do you think this has set back the investigation to Roswell by a couple of decades? Well, quite frankly, I, I, I flew all day yesterday. I'm, I'm actually sitting in Frank Warren's house. Now it can be told. Yes, it can be told. And we talked until the wee hours this morning. And really, that's the, the most exposure I had to this. I'm reading an email that was sent on his computer, and it's just sort of a brief overview. Uh, and I was reading that as you had Lawrence on the air. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just more digesting all the information at this point. But I tend to agree with the, the three of you that it's, it's a little unusual. Yeah, Looking at his website, one of the things, uh, how she, the, the document in question that I referenced earlier, and, and how she signed her name, if, if we're believing what he said, she signed it, Matilda O'Donnell McElroy, Senior Master Sergeant, Women's Army Air Force Medical Corps, retired. Now, first off, there is no, in verbatim, Women's Army Air Force Medical Corps. That did not exist being stated that way. The other thing is she says Senior Master Sergeant. Now, if she had a career later on, and again, I haven't read the book, if her career went years into the Air Force, Senior Master Sergeant, that rank did not exist in 1947, period. So, presumably, that her career carried on. I don't think the rank of uh, Senior Master Sergeant came into existence until... 57, 58. I, I could be wrong on that, but it's 10 years after the fact. So he, there's the big question. W- was she in the Air Force 10 years later? 
give or take a year or two. And then she she notes that she's retired, and she puts that after the Women's Army Air Force Medical Corp. Of course, that could be done, but generally when you're writing your, your signature that way and you're indicating retirement in the rank, that generally follows the rank itself. Right. So just right. these things just don't fit together in in regards to what little evidence we do have to look at. I'd like to put forward a, a notion that at this point in time, and I'm going to piss off Tom Carey and Don Schmidt, and I don't care because I'm, I'm tired of Don. Yes, uh, this is what it is. I, I'm just sick of the guy. He, he just needs to, you know, just, just get more fiber in his diet. But at this point, uh, it's real simple. I, I think we should put a moratorium on Roswell information for two reasons. Reason A, Roswell is no longer a UFO case. It's a myth. We're never going to get any reality out of this. We're just not going to. Uh, it happened too long ago at this point. There have been too many versions of the phone game involved here. I think that the second reason we should just sort of move away from it is that there are more compelling cases in more contemporary times with living witnesses. I think that we're, we're spending a lot of time on this Roswell thing, and, and it's at the point where, in the eyes of the mass media and the eyes of the masses in, in general, when you say Roswell, you, you, there is all this baggage that comes along with it, including the way that Roswell has attempted to you know, commercialize this whole thing. Uh, when you have people like Schmidt and Carey on the, on the Larry King show, you know, I mean, Mr. Carey, have you looked in the mirror lately? You're just freaking scary. I mean, you're just, it, this scares people off. They're like, oh, my God, look at these crazy people involved with this topic. We're at a point now where Roswell, it, it, it's just it's contaminated. It's far too contaminated, and I think it's time to put it to bed. And, and I'm sorry if Stan Friedman's going to get pissed off at me for saying this, but really, there have been so many UFO cases since then. There have been crash cases since then. There have been cases that seemingly have yielded uh, physical evidence. I mean, we, have, we hear all of this stuff about Roswell, and no one wants to talk to Ted Phillips about the 4,000 trace evidence landing cases he's investigated, and what, the 600 and some odd cases he's actually removed physical material from? Those are less compelling than Roswell? I just, you at know, this point, I don't get it. Whether you share that opinion or not, pro or con about Roswell, one of the mistakes yeah. that's always made in talking about Roswell, and this happened again the other night on Larry King, people, they put their blinders on and they talk only about Roswell. When you're dealing with, with an, uh, an incident that took place in the summer of 1947 when there were events that were taking place all over the world at that time, Roswell is, is a component of Just a one. myriad of events Absolutely. that took place in that time period. And people, you know, they always they want to argue the evidence uh, strictly with Roswell. It's like, look, wait a minute, step back and look at the whole thing that went, went on. The reason that they called that a flying disc, the reason that uh, that was issued, originally ordered by Blanchard, was the fact that flying discs were in headline news uh, coast to coast, worldwide, right. globally. The right. readers knew what a flying disc was when they saw the headline because mm -hmm. it was in the news. Right. And everybody forgets about that when they talk about Roswell. It's just, it's a component of a myriad of events that took place. Uh, it's part of the preponderance of evidence, and, and people Correct. always put their blinders on when they talk about it. Even, well, that's even the best, Stan Friedman does that uh, oftentimes. And I think you've got to look back at the whole picture of what went on uh, in regards to Roswell. The, the Roswell thing, if you're pro-Roswell, and, and, and I do believe, uh, like Stan does, that I do believe the craft did come down, and I, and I personally believe that the, the, uh, it was extraterrestrial, and I based that on my own research. 
But if you look at the preponderance of evidence of what was going on, it makes a lot more sense than just isolating that one uh, event by itself. Well, in the case of, for the way, for example, the way this this stuff is discussed on Larry King, Larry is playing to his audience, people who can't juggle two facts at, at a single time, and you know, in, in asking questions, you know, well, what do you, you know, is it extraterrestrial? It's waiting the question. It's just kind of silly because what is this really a binary universe we live in? You know, it, it, it's it, 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 is it extraterrestrial? Well, maybe the answer is not yes or no. Maybe this these things are much more subtle in terms of their reality. And this is why I think people who try to expand this conversation, people who try to widen the base of this, people like Jacques Vallée had received so much grief at a certain point in his career because he was trying to be open-minded and expansive and he was running into uh, the preconceived notion problem that I think we all as human beings have to deal with. Look, we all have our pet theories about things and we all pay lip service to the notion of being open-minded and in the end, especially as you get older, your brain just gets hardwired and you don't want to change your belief system. And I think as long as we're intellectually honest about this and we recognize that this is a built-in limiter as to what we can really do about this topic until we expand our ideas of what's really going on here. And and mind you, this is how I approach this work. I sat down and and read the alien interview with the idea that I was going to put aside my own prejudices and try to approach this material with an open mind. And, and I have to say that on that basis, a lot of it just made no sense. Now, granted, before I got to the actual material, I got to the I destroyed all the, all the proof part. And it just killed me. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, there it goes. That's it. Credibility is out the window. And, and then, you know, okay, so now I try to put that aside and read the piece. And I did read it, but I found that internally, the story internally, had so many holes in it that I thought, this is why I brought up during the interview, you know, this is why Earth is a prison planet, because the liquid nature of the core creates an unstable crust in earthquakes? Like, what? This is this just one has nothing to do with the other. But this is the problem I see in the realm of UFO research, and even worse, the typical makeup of the audiences that are fascinated by this. Either you have people who are truly trying to find some answers here and who really have an open mind, don't have preconceived notions, and are looking at things through clean eyes. Or you have people who are trying to take this mythology and turn it into their new religion. And they are every bit as unproductive as the fundamentalists of any religion. You know, the many of people who are trying to take stuff and make a, a reason to exist out of it, it's sort of over that any kind of rational discussion. I mean, yeah, it's like having a rational discussion about politics and religion with your friends or your loved ones. There's no such thing. Everybody brings their weight to the table. And so you're, you're left with a situation where no one's actually listening to each other. Everybody is simply waiting for a chance to express their opinions. And that's it. And you can't change their minds because their minds were made up a long time ago. It's just, I find it to be very frustrating, and it makes me think that no matter how much time goes by, if we continue on this path, we will not only never have a better understanding of this, but we'll guarantee that this is a marginalized, murky topic for as long as whatever is the true source for this wants it to be so. 
It just makes me sad, that's all. You know, with, with the, the notion, or, or the preconceived notion in itself, and, and I agree with the bulk of what you're saying, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have found that particularly with shows like Larry King or when, when you have an opportunity to be on a show like that, you, you always have to uh, re-educate the public at every step of the way because of the preconceived notion. Right. Um, it, it goes back to, to the very term UFO. There's a preconceived notion that UFO means alien, and it right. doesn't. It when doesn't. I use the term UFO, I mean it in the verbatim. If it's an mm-hmm. extraterrestrial craft, then it's no longer unidentified. We know what it is. Sure. So you have to go back to that argument. I remember uh, several episodes ago on Larry King, and this is how many he's done. It was probably six episodes back. Uh, James Fox was going on, and I sent him a quick uh, email to his BlackBerry, and I said, please make the distinction uh, between UFO and alien craft. Do not go to alien craft. And he did that. He did make the distinction. Of course, he, he, you know, Larry King's got ten guests on there. They're doing these quick sound bites. Nobody can yeah. get their point across. Right. Um, but he did try to do that. And they had Michael Shermer, our favorite skeptic, on there. The funny part about this is Shermer had no place to go. Why? Because, in essence, Fox was agreeing with him. He wasn't saying alien craft. He says, we're talking about unidentified uh, flying objects here. So Shermer just kind of gave him the, the deer-in-the-headlight look, and he didn't have an answer because he was agreeing with him. It takes two people to argue. So you have to do this in baby steps with your audience, and you have to re-educate them all the time. Let's talk about UFOs. Stevensville the other night on the Larry King Show. Here we've got we've started with anecdotal evidence. A, a large amount of anecdotal evidence, and now we have radar confirmation. So this is now a radar visual case. We've mm-hmm. taken it up a step, which is impressive. Now, does that mean that that was an alien craft? No, it doesn't. It means something uh, that it wasn't conventional was not only seen by people, it's now been verified by radar reports. Right. So we've kicked it up a notch, uh, and which obviously warrants more investigation. It's a very interesting case. Kokomo. Another one right after that. Later, we have the same thing. There's radar reports in support of the anecdotal evidence, the eyewitness testimony. But does that mean alien craft? Certainly not. It means it's unidentified. It wasn't a conventional craft. Let's look into this. What other evidence can we find uh, and get away from the preconceived notions? I just don't know that we can get away from preconceived notions. I think humans do everything that they do based on a preconceived parsing of the nature of everything that surrounds them. Call it a cognitive bias. I mean, uh, we're, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's societal programming. Absolutely. And I don't know that there's any way around it. I think at this point, here we are, human beings, trying to understand the nature of everything that goes on around us. And I just want to mention this, uh, because I haven't really brought up on the show or anything, but there is a, a great movie that I think everybody who's interested in these topics should watch. It was a a story written by Jerome Bixby, a very well-known science fiction writer who did a bunch of work on things like The Twilight Zone and and, uh, Star Trek. But there was a movie that came out in 2007 that is one of the most intelligent approaches to this whole problem. And it's called The Man from Earth. And I'll just give you the setup real quickly. College history professor decides that he is going to basically walk away from his job. He's going to leave the area. And he invites his closest friends, all other uh, faculty members. There's an anthropologist. There's a biologist. There's a a Christian literalist. He invites them all over to talk to them. This is his last evening. He's going to be around, and he's taken off. And they're kind of wondering why he's leaving. Why are you leaving? You've got a sure shot at tenure. What are you doing here? No, he had tenure. And, you know, maybe you're going to be chair of the department. Why are you leaving? And he, and he starts to tell them with some trepidation 
he says, look, you know, um, every 10 years I leave wherever I'm at and I move on. Well, what do you mean? Why are you talking about? And then one of the women mentions how it doesn't look like he's aged in the 10 years he's been at the school. How every woman in the school would love to have a secret. So what he proceeds to tell them is that he has been alive for 14,000 years. He feels the need to tell them because he thinks they can hear it. And because he's doing this on a whim, he, he thinks, you know, I just need to like, I need to empty this off my chest. I need to get off my chest and I'm going to tell you guys. And so the whole movie basically takes place in the guy's living room. And it's all about the simple problem of making a claim that A, you can't really prove and B, the people listening to it can't really disprove. And it is essentially, in a boiled down version, it is the problem that we all face in discussing the many topics we discuss on this show and that those of us who are on the show tend to talk about things that are at the very boundary of our understanding, the greatest mysteries we've ever faced. But when you don't have proof, what do you have? And so here's this guy telling details and the reasoning behind why certain things have occurred to him and why he's gone through certain things. Now they're asking the kinds of questions that we would ask anybody who would make claims about being in touch with extraterrestrials, having seen ghosts, having ESP, on and on. And and they're asking him these questions, and he's telling them what's going on. And and I won't give any other, any other aspect of this movie away. It came out last year. No, has anybody on this uh, show seen this this movie, The Man from Earth? I rented I it, David. I'm going to see it probably today or sometime during the week. Frank Scott? No, no, no. All right. Strongly recommend this because it really it's incredibly well written. And it, it is exactly, it is so relevant to all of the discussions that we have on this show and that we all have in this field. I think it should be required viewing for anybody interested in this stuff. It's exceedingly well written. It's very well acted. Like any good science fiction story, you know, Isaac Asimov used to say the best science fiction stories try to completely turn the tables in the very last bit of the story. If you're really good, he said, you know, you do it in the very last paragraph when no one's expecting it. Oh, and, boy. And We're waiting. They have, a cute, they have a cute gag in this movie about that. But I think it's really relevant to this topic. And the bottom line is that, you know, can we take what Lawrence is putting forward and say, you know, it's this, it's that, or the other thing? Well, all we can do is look at what the material is, the source of it, and motivations. And I have to say, I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm a little stunned that he gave us permission to hand this uh, book out, the PDF version of this book, to our audience. So we'll be very curious to know what our audience members who take the time to read it, what they think about it. And by the way, as we speak, in fact, right now the book is available for download from the Paracast discussion forums. Scott Ramsey, where can our listeners learn more about the things you do? Hopefully, at the end of this trip, or actually I've got one more trip out here, we'll start getting the book completed. I'm in California right now. As I said before, I'm heading down to Aztec. Okay. Well, the time that's going to happen by the time people hear the show. Well, that trip will help Suzanne and I try to get the book about 99% done. We need one more trip back out in the fall, back to Aztec. And then we'll get some more information about Aztec, and then we'll have you back on the show. Frank okay. Warren, where do we get a hold of you? Well, I like to call it the Knowledge is Power website, a.k.a. the frankwarren.blogspot.com. Uh, the easiest way, obviously, for your listeners is just Google Frank Warren and UFO, and uh, generally uh, we're somewhere at the top. Or you just look at the word Frank Warren on our website, thepowercast.com. It links right to it. Gentlemen, thank you so much on very short notice for joining us this week on The Powercast. 
have one quick thing I'd like to add if I could. Sure. The website, if anybody wants to email me, they can go to uh, www.aztech1948.com and there's all my contact information. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.